It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Gove. And I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week because I was marrying Cajun David Strathairn. <laughs> With us today is Joe Reed uh, of numerous podcasts, but I'll just say uh, this has Oscar buzz is, the, is, the, is your main Haunt. Yes, indeed. Yes. Um, thank you for coming back, Joe. You've been Thanks on, for having you, me. You've been on several times. This is the first time you're coming on for 92. My first 92. Um, I, I reached out to you and was like, what 92 movies would you be interested in talking about? Unscrolled and, my giant it was, 92 it was scroll. An amazing list. Um, <laughs> I And as I mentioned to you, I put your name next to all of those films as well. Um, but I wanted to focus. Uh, you, you mentioned Passion Fish. Yes. Um, you were the only one. Surprisingly. I figured I might be. Yes. Well, and this is not, I mean, listen, I, I, this wasn't a huge movie in 92. No, no. But it has it did make an impact. Like it's a movie that I have to be, you know, full dis- disclosure have not seen, yeah. but like, have you seen Noah. it now that we're doing the episode? Like, yes, have you yes, watched? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. I have yeah. watched it. Since. <laughs> um, but like, I remember Mary McDowell's uh, McDonald, my, my apology, her Oscar nomination. Yeah. And it's a movie that I always kind of was like, I should watch that. I should watch passion fish. So I'm thankful that you highlighted it for us. Sure. Um, what 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 about passion fish made you put it on your list why was this one of your picks partially it's that it was a best actress nominee from 92 and i do feel like a little bit of a uh responsibility to represent my niche um here as 
an Oscars guy. Uh, it's also sort of like you said, I feel like this is a movie I find myself evangelizing more and more with 92, whereas like there's a lot of movies from 92 that have become sort of like cable TV staples and longstanding favorites and movies that we all sort of watched when we were learning to love movies. And this is one I tend to find myself recommending to people. And it's interesting because I'm not necessarily a John Sayles guy in that I haven't seen very many John Sayles movies. I sort of was looking at his filmography in preparation for this. And I almost wished, you know, this is coming in the middle of Oscar season when I am like at my most overextended or else I would have probably enjoyed having like a nice deep dive into the John Sayles filmography because there's a lot of movies that he's done that I really, really want to see. Um, But I'm coming at this more from the perspective of the two lead uh, actress performances, Mary McDonnell, and then also Elfrey Woodard, who was not Oscar nominated, but got a bunch of precursor attention for this. And she's phenomenal in this movie. And Mary McDonnell also plays like, you know, washed up soap actress who now can't, you know, act because of her injury and, I am uh, one of the, you know, things that that raised me was watching the soaps when I was younger. And I'm still sort of uh, literate in that whole thing. So that's a thing that's always sort of tied me to this movie. But I was sort of eager to recommend it to as wide of an audience as possible. So thank you. Absolutely. You know, um, I'll just say one quick thing, Emily, and then obviously I want I want you to chime in with your passion. Oh, she's shaking her head. She does not want to chime in. No, I want I will chime <laughs> in at talk. any time. Okay. I was <laughs> Look just at this say, man behind me. He wants me to Emily talk. Emily has uh for, for, for our listeners a a HD beautiful picture of Cajun Davis Strathairn, uh possibly looking at at the titular passion fish, hard hard to tell. Possibly. This is the picture um, that's in the dictionary next to the term trucker hat, is when you yeah. want to just sort of yes, define right. what somebody should ideally look like in a trucker hat. It's this correct. photo of David Smith. He's looking at me. He, he, he actually is just he is really just looking at Emily. <laughs> I you know, the John Sales thing I think is really interesting, Joe, because we did um Limbo in ninety-nine. Kenny and sure. I covered that film. Um, a film that uh that I kind of went into also knowing very little about it. Um, and Kenny and I were both blown away by Limbo. Mm-hmm. Um Lone Star, uh, you know, is a tremendous movie. If our listeners haven't, you know, watched that film, it's it's arguably his best movie. I haven't seen all of his films, but that movie, which I saw when it came out in 95, 96, I think 96. is when that came out. 96. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 16 years old and I remember seeing that with my stepdad and just being like, this movie is fucking great. Like it, it yeah. really kind of knocked my socks off. Um, John Sales is just such an unassuming filmmaker who kind of makes these small movies. Um, you know, the, he, he, I'm, I'm assuming his budgets are probably under 10 million, maybe even under five sometimes, yeah. um, which gives him the chance to kind of do what he wants to do in his own little sandbox. It's pretty amazing. He was really influential in that sort of 80s version of the independent film movement, too. That kind of early independent spirit awards kind of thing. Return of the Secaucus 7 was his first movie, and that's the one that everybody sort of credits as being basically the movie that the the big chill kind of cribbed its its paper off of. Um, uh, but things like brother from another planet with Joe Morton and, um, uh, he, like so many actors came up through like the John Sayles movies, like Chris Cooper and David Strathairn and Mary McDonnell and, and, uh, Matthew McConaughey being in 
Lone Star sort of the year before he broke out big. And Chris and, also had yes. a little bit of an upswing with him inside of the 90s a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, Eight Men Out and, and uh, Lone Star are probably the two that he's best known for. Uh, Lone Star and Passion Fish actually being the two that he's Oscar nominated for in his career, I think are his only two screenplay nominations. Correct. And then he's kind of, he keeps making, he's kept making yeah. films, uh, but they got sort of increasingly after, after uh, Lone Star, sort of like less and less well, of, a, of an improvement. You know, not to do too much of a deep dive on John Sales up top, but I'll just say this one thing. I looked at his filmography as well, and and I don't know if this is a concerted effort from him, and I don't think it is because he doesn't seem like a guy who thinks about these things at all. But he kind of had these two moments, these two Oscar nominations that got him a fair amount of you know press and ink, and people mm-hmm. were like, who's this John Sales guy? And then he follows up both of these movies with movies that are decidedly alienating in their own way that, sure. that are not... Whoa! Hey! Whoa! Are you a Roninish fan? Is that what... fucking Secret of Roninish? Is his best movie? I love that movie. Okay, it is. I gotta see it. Fucking fantastic! I again, I don't mean to. Su- I, again, I don't mean to suggest that he's that there's a concerted effort on his part to make things that don't connect. And I re- right. do remember the Secret of Roninish being a thing it to is... some degree. I think it is his most approachable movie. It is a okay. movie aimed at children. The problem is the sure. title is The Secret of Roan yep. Inish. You're like, what is that? If yep. the title was My Brother's a Seal, you'd be like, fuck yes. Sure. I got to see that. Yeah. I got to watch that. Is Brother a Seal? It's about the Selkie myth, which is okay. um, this idea that people who die are sometimes just people who've been taken off to sea by the Selkies and turned oh, into seals. Cool. It's There was it a very a, recent animated feature, I feel Song like. Song of was, the Sea, yeah. That's what it was. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, yes. I wrote an article about this at a website I used to work for that will not be named. Um, that was about <laughs> how the best children's movies are about the Selkie myth because it is a way for kids to like grapple with death sure, in sure. a fairy tale context. Secret of Rowan Inish is just a beautiful movie about kids learning what death is. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a I, I don't sales. Mean to speak ill of it. I yeah. I'm a sales gal. I'd never seen Passion Fish somehow, even though that's one of his biggest movies. So I'm glad I saw this. But um, Sukakis 7, uh, Mat Wan, I never know yes, how to pronounce yes. it. Uh, uh, yeah. Eight Men Out, a Lone Star. I haven't really seen anything since Lone Star, which is on me. You but should, like, I, I, Watch Limbo legitimately like Limbo's a great movie. I-, I think one of the things that he does really well and is sort of a little bit in the kind of background of this movie is how he deals with crime and sort of mm-hmm. this kind of darkness on the edges of of feels so real in his movies uh, doesn't make it any less dangerous or any less scary. In fact, you might even argue it makes it more scary because of how sort of every day it seems he doesn't he doesn't kind of dial up that shit you know i was i was thinking about if you just say the plot summary of passion fish it sounds like a movie that defeats a groundbreaking spike lee movie at the oscars it just sounds like the worst thing ever sure and watching it the experience is very different and i kind of realize it's because he's got such specificity of character that he can get away with like this story about a relationship between a white woman and the black woman she hires to like take care of her and make it seem rich and lived in, in a way that still plays now when we're like more aware of the troubling dynamics around that. I I would argue too, you know, that he's one of, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how to word this necessarily, but you know, he, he is a, a white filmmaker who writes a fair amount about the black experience in a way that, 
is not obviously troublesome or problematic. It's just very human. Like I had no other way to say it other than the fact that he does not approach. He does not see race is, is sort of the way that I see it. He just sees people. Um, I, and think, I think he's really, really beautiful about it. I think he works really closely with his actors. So like sure. if an Alfred yes. Woodard is like, this thing doesn't make any sense, John, this is so cliche, then he'll like work with her to rewrite it. You know, I think like, yeah, it, uh, you look at how often his filmography overlaps with issues of race, but I think, and it does seem like a little weird that this white guy is continuing to do that. But I think also it's because he's very interested in class, which is like this overriding thing in America that we are all tapped into, but that movies rarely touch on. And I think that allows him to talk about other intersections of uh, of problems and prejudices in America without like seeming like he's preaching at you. Cause he's talking about the way in this movie, he's talking also about the economic differences between Absolutely. the two. Yeah. Emily, you know, did I, you watch that same Charlie Rose interview that I did when I was uh, preparing for this? Cause there's a, there's a Charlie Rose interview that he did, which is, it's so like, it's kind of annoying that the two things that are available on YouTube for us to, you know, research for these movies often is Siskel and Ebert when they have clips, but it's also Charlie Rose interviews, but he talks about specifically talking to Alfred Woodard on set about a specific line reading that she had sort of like steered him a different way on. And it was basically, she's just like, if I, as a black woman would say to Angela Bassett, another black woman, this particular thing, it would be read a certain way. So you maybe don't want to do it. And he was talking about it as like, as a collaborative thing. So that's definitely, it feels like definitely a thing with him. And that's I think, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is that scene with them in the kitchen is yeah. tremendous. Oh, right now. I think in the 90s that was like still pretty uncommon the 90s mm-hmm. were still like like obviously robert altman um and you know uh jonathan demi were sort of collaborative in that way but the 90s mm-hmm. were not known for having a lot of super collaborative filmmakers and i think that john sales coming out of the independent tradition where you have to get everything you can and you're asking your actors to just do stuff for peanuts like yeah has more of a respect for what people are willing to give him anyway uh john sales is we should just do a podcast about john sales it'd be the most popular listen it would be huge it would be huge i you know he is and it's, it's worth just kind of saying again how his movies are very understated and he seems like a very understated guy, right? I mean, he's 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 a notorious. Uh, um, he does a lot of uh, script doctoring. He gets paid a fair amount in order to do yes. passes on a lot of movies, um, because you know, as we'll talk about his naturalistic dialogue, the way that he just taps into sort of the human condition in a way that is just incredibly believable. I imagine every director would love to have a pass that has that kind of current going through it. Um, but again, he doesn't do a ton of press, doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's very much that sort of indie filmmaker who's just happy that he gets to keep making his movies and he gets to live in his own little, you know, his own little box and do his own his own movies. Um, and I, I think that that's, a shame because I think that, as Emily has said, you know, he's got a really rich and interesting filmography. And this movie, you know, which was, you know, in 92, it, you know, it, it didn't set the world on fire by any means at the box office. It got two Oscar nominations, as you mentioned, uh, Joe, you know, he got nominated for screenplay. Mary McDonald got nominated for, for actress. And, you know, in 92, I imagine that probably helped his box office to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. But like this movie, which 
from my layman's, you know, 12 year old perspective in 1992, I was like, what's this movie called Passion Fish? I'm never I'm never right. watching said Passion Fish. Right? Another like, movie with a great title <laughs> where you're like, I know exactly what that is. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was just like, I mean, truth be told, I think that probably I imagine I learned that it was about a soap star and I was like, oh, Passion yeah. Fish, soap yeah. star. I don't need this movie, right? Like, and that's just unfortunate. Passion Fish coming from the Sling Blade school of titling your movie, where it's just like, we're going to wait for something to show up in the movie that's a metaphor for something, <laughs> and we're going to use that as our very enigmatic yeah, title. It'll yeah. be great. Uh, before we move into the yes, film and please, move yeah. away from John Sayles' career yes. as a whole, I just want to talk about his foremost contribution to the cinema, which is his never-produced script for Jurassic Park 4, Yes. About dinosaur right. commandos, right? Uh, yes. God, who yes. have been who have had their human DNA spliced with dinosaur DNA, so the they best. can like perform missions for the military. Yeah. And there's there's concept art out there. Mm-hmm. Everybody, go look it up. It's my it's favorite thing phenomenal. to have ever happens. It's. Yeah. I mean, and this is and one last thing about John Sales. Although I'm sure we'll keep talking about him throughout this, but. Also a guy who starts in like schlocky B fucking horror movies in, in, and that's sort of how he gets his, you know, he's a leg Corman into the, guy, right? He's part yeah. of the Corman yeah. tree. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like, there's, there is another John sales career that is far more in the mold of like, perhaps even a James Cameron of a guy who like decides to kind of build on this kind of schlocky military sci-fi, whatever kind of stuff. And I just think that's also fascinating about this guy. Like, you know, he can talk to you about this shit too. I think John sales version of the abyss would be better. And I'm never yes. taking that back. No, that's a good <laughs> stand that's by a that. hot take that I would definitely, I mean, I like the abyss, but I know what you're saying. I, I, Fewer I think people's a, lives would have probably been put in danger. Abs- by it, so. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I want to give a little bit of context for passion fish uh, for listeners who might not have seen it after soap opera actress, may Alice, Colhane is that who you said? Colhane? Colhane. Colhane, yeah. uh, played by Mary McDonald, has a car accident. She's paralyzed and forced into a wheelchair. She retreats to her family's vacant home in Louisiana and indulges in alcohol and self-pity. When nursing aid comes to help, May Alice unleashes her anger, prompting each to quit. Chantal, played by Alfred Woodard, a nurse who desperately needs a job, arrives determined to change May Alice's outlook as the two become friends. They help each other cope with their challenges. Passion Fish opened on December 11th, 1992 against A Few Good Men, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, The Bodyguard, Aladdin, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make $4.8 million on a $5 million budget. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 82% from audiences. Uh, I'll read a brief uh, bit of uh, Roger Ebert's four-star review. He said, in a typical TV docudrama, this would be the setup for a heartwarming tale of uplift and courage, but John Sale's passion fits cuts closer to the bone. This is a tough, muscular story about a headstrong woman who wants things to go her way. There are elements here of a vaguely similar relationship in Driving Miss Daisy, but Sales has his own film, direct and original, and in the struggle of wills between these two characters, he creates two of the most interesting human portraits of the year. Um, You know, I I think that he, uh, as a lot of critics did, I mean, John Sales is kind of a critic's darling, right? Like, he, he is kind of the guy that appears, movies appear on top 10 lists all the time totally. yeah. um they just don't get seen by many people unfortunately i mean I don't, I don't know how else to say it i do feel like um this movie which is shot by roger deakins which you can tell because yeah. it's beautifully shot um i would i would actually say that from the first shots of this movie 
I was like, who's behind the camera? Like I Im- immediately sensed that there was a real beautiful eye movie essentially opens in a hospital bed you know these these kind of staccato shots of um may alice waking up uh in a hospital bed after what we can only assume is surgery or something along those lines post-accident and i don't know about you guys but i love a movie that just throws you in and no like no title cards i I watched yeah i watched it on prime video and Prime Video chops the studio logos off. So Just like, right into it. It was so un- unnerving. It was very <laughs> odd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the the lack of studio cards was definitely jarring, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but it, it would have been jarring either way, and I love it. I love that he just throws you in. Yeah. Well, and it's a Miramax movie, so I wonder if there was some... Oh, you know, in, in the in one of the sales or one of the you know sure, sure. public relations, uh, they were just like effort. chop it off. Like, yeah, it better not. Yeah. I so Mary McDonnell is an interesting actress. I don't know that I've seen a ton of her work. Sure, I feel like the movie that she's probably most associated with is maybe Dances with Wolves. Is that the one that people yeah. would sort of? I feel certainly, like it's that, yeah. yeah. It's that or Battlestar Galactica. If you're that's right, the thing, right. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Dances yeah. with Wolves is her breakthrough. She gets the Oscar nomination for that, um, and like that's a hugely popular movie too. And so, because I remember when she got this Oscar nomination, she was definitely like a known quantity, and she had been in that movie Grand Canyon with ninety one. Uh, yeah, that's the year ninety one, and of course yep. ninety two is her and David Strathairn doing the double feature of this and Sneakers back to back. So like that's pretty that's- cool. Um, but yeah, that was, she was, she was definitely sort of known for Dances with Wolves at this time, which is like, it's a, it's a, it's a good role for her in that it like immediately establishes her as a very different kind of character type and, and sort of, you know, she shows that range very quickly, which is good. So, um, is, and, and forgive me, I know that this doesn't ultimately matter. And in 92, I'm sure they weren't even asking this question, but does she have any, native american heritage of any sort is her i've never seen dance with wolves full so she okay so she's playing a white okay who was taken by native americans as a child and raised in that raised in that culture which is like a like a like a a racist stereotype but like she is technically playing a white character okay so yeah uh, stands with a fist is the character that she plays in that film. I yes. I, I should watch Genesis with Wolves. I just have such a resentment against it un, unjustly for you know it's, it's one of wins. those movies that on one hand is as bad as they say, but on the other hand is better than they say. And that mm. there's there's something to it. There's okay. you get you understand watching that movie like oh I definitely know why it's a hit. Also the music is really fantastic. If to like okay. to. Yeah. To I, zero in on a on a technical thing, sometimes that's a nice way of like praising a movie that you maybe don't want to praise. It's just like, oh, the costumes were great, but like the the score in Dances with Wolves is really tremendous. I grew up in South Dakota, where that movie was shot. Oh, okay. and yeah. so it was like a big deal. And sure, like there are still if you're traveling along I ninety through South Dakota, there's still places that are like we have Dances with Wolves props, and you can come look at them, like random gas stations. Um, I think I think that movie oddly is very similar to Avatar in that all of the things yeah. people say are wrong with it are wrong with it. I think sure. Avatar is a much better movie, but there is something in Dances with Wolves that is inherently watchable and entertaining 
and yeah. worthwhile and it is trying to say something it's just so presented through the white gaze that you kind of can't escape that but it's yeah. it's it's good it's also it, yeah I mean, it's, it's like well-intentioned made. the movie like that's sort of the the brand that it's rocking i yeah. i i don't doubt that it's a good movie and someday i will watch all 181 minutes of yeah. it. I, I i'll say this too you know we talk about this a lot um I, I just did a I, I did a double feature episode last night on Kramer versus Kramer and uh, Marriage Story with uh, Jordan Gustafson. Um, Kramer versus Kramer made one hundred and seventy four million dollars in nineteen seventy nine. Number one um, movie Dance that with, year. Yeah. Dance with Wolves four hundred and twenty four million dollars uh, in nineteen ninety dollars too. Mm-hmm. Like we just didn't know how good we had it and people Listen, were just going to the movies man <laughs> marriage story launched 189 million memes so like <laughs> all of them all of them did justice to that a film. to b right yeah. yeah which would you rather yeah. uh, so I, I i do think that mary uh mcdonald who has who gets an oscar nomination for dance with wolves she does grand canyon in 91 she's passion fish and sneakers in 92 you know, then again, it's like it's it's blue chips. It's Independence Day. Uh, you know, shortly thereafter, it's um, uh, Battlestar Galactica. She also has that. What was that TNT show she had that ran for Major Crimes? Major Crimes, the, the closer spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, listen, she's she, she's doing fine. She's also up there with George Clooney as having been on both ER and E slash R. So that's a real that's a that's <laughs> rarefied mom, right? Yeah. She's Carter's mom on ER. Yeah, yeah. She kind of rocks in Independence Day. I'm she's sorry. Great. Oh, she's I was just talking about this, Emily, recently. Her scene where she's there with Vivica Fox after the after the first attack. And she goes, what do you do? And she goes, I'm a dancer. And she goes, oh, Palais. And it's such a, just like a, just a blissful, like unawares line reading. It's so good. I love it she's so much. She's got such a specific cadence that I find like that is all her, her voice own. is tremendous. Yeah. It is. And she, yeah. and the way she in this movie throws in a little bit of Cajun from time to time yeah. uh, is really great. It's one it's of my favorite showy. things about the movie is how subtly that creeps back into her voice. And they comment on it a couple of times, but even before they comment on it, you can sort of, you, you get the sense of it. it's just, it's, it's home sort of, you know, creeping back in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a Mary McDonald cul-de-sac I'm going to wander down. Then I'm going to launch Please. a topic that will give us further discussion. Yeah, I covered the show Battlestar Galactica really sure. closely. Yeah. And so uh, in the final season, I got invited to some parties that were like kind of cast and crew only, like because I'd been covering it. That was before I knew about journalistic ethics. So I just went to all of them. <laughs> right. At, at one of them, uh, I wandered into this like living room. And Mary McDonald was playing a video game against other people. And in my mind, it's Mario Kart. I don't Fantastic. know if that's actually it. I hope But I want it. you yeah. to hold that image of Mary McDonald, like, like shoving someone over and being like, no, I'm Donkey Kong. And like, just, just <laughs> going hand. Riding the rainbow road. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the thing I want to prompt discussion hmm. on is, Joe, you may have a, a different memory of this, but I remember 92 and 94 being years that people who were Oscar prognosticators were like, there's just no, no candidates for best actress because so oh, many you get movies, that a lot. It's annoying. Yeah, yeah. So many of the movies were about boys. So many of the big Oscar movies were about boys. And like, if you look at the overall sweep of 92, like they could have fit in Gina Davis from league of their own. There are other yep. roles, but I certainly feel like when you look at this best actress lineup, or when you look at the 1994 best actress lineup, they are lineups that are very much like they did. They display how much trouble Hollywood had making 
quality, putting yep. huge air quotes around that, films for women at this time, which is why I'm so glad we're covering 1992. Um, this movie's about girls. This movie's about girls, though. This I like it. This is about girls. This movie's uh, about girls. And I and I love it um, because it's about the spectrum of girls, yes. right? Like, yeah. it's it, it, it doesn't... And again, like this is this is sort of a prime example of, you know, a white guy in his like 50s from New York that decides he's going to write a movie about women being women in Louisiana um, yep. and, and the breadth of different types of. And, and by the way, I would say that the, the men have a, a, a breadth of, of, you know, what I mean, uh, yeah. uh, Vondi Curtis Hall could not be more dissimilar from from David Strathairn in this movie. But yeah. it's just it, it it is such a beautiful potpourri of characters that he's put together. How many how many movies which are about this central relationship would then devote a long monologue to a woman talking about how she had one line in a soap opera that was about the an anal probe. Line. I love and that scene so much. I so didn't good. ask for the anal probe. I, I just like, I watched that and I was a gog. I was like, this is brilliant. How have I not seen this movie before? How is this not like, how is this not a gif on friggin' Twitter? <laughs> it's, Everyone it's, just, yeah. It's the benefit of having a movie that is written, directed, and edited by the same person because, it, like, you get, you really feel that John Sales, as he's writing this movie, as he's making this movie, sort of follows down these little paths and he's like, I'm going to stay here for a while and I'm going to, like, linger on this character for a little bit, maybe longer, certainly longer than most directors or most studios would sort of allow you to do so. And you get moments like that. You get that conversation in the kitchen with Alfre Woodard and Angela Bassett, which, like, thank God, like, Angela Bassett was at that point had been in boys in the hood, but like what was like, you know, months away from breaking out with what's love got to do with it. Um, so now you have this great scene in cinema with Alfre Woodard and uh, Angela Bassett in the kitchen together, which is great. Um, even like yeah. the David Strathairn stuff out on the, out on the boat or whatever, the passion fish story. It's all this stuff where it's just like, you get like sales is just sort of following his interest for a while and ends up painting this really like multi-layered story as a result. I also feel like he, he kind of, bucks the notion of um that a character piece needs to be plotless as well yeah. like his his relationship with plot i find also really fascinating i think that you know a movie like lone star which is sort of this neo-noir movie that's kind of uh, deconstructing the notion of generational crime police all that kind of stuff um is still paramount character at the forefront it's it's clear that to him character is what drives an audience and propels an audience to stick with a movie it's not twists and turns of plot i'm um, not to say that the plot isn't there because i do think there is a plot here um i just think it's I, I think his relationship with plot is fascinating i think i really miss like I, we certainly still have independent cinema, but I really miss when independent cinema now it kind of feels like it needs to have a hook, you know, yeah. even if it's a minor one, um, yeah. like, like, you know, I read about the movies out of Sundance this year. I've seen none of them and they all have like a plot hook and you're like, yeah. okay, this movie kind like it is kind of a hook in the nineties, a white person and a black person become friends was a hook. Was a hook. Right. But like, right. um, there's, I miss when these movies could meander and when they could like be like, if John sales is like, I want to just go to like a, like a, like a Zydeco bar and just watch Alfre Woodard, like take that in. 
I want to just see a failed sexual encounter between Alfred Woodard and Bondi Curtis Hall. I want to just watch this soap opera actress talk about the anal probe line. Like he feels not beholden to the plot while also having a plot. And I miss that kind of indie filmmaking. We don't, I feel like we don't get enough of it now. I I, I agree. And I mean, I I do think that, I mean, so much, of it and I you know we don't need to go down the whole road of why or why people don't go to the movies today but I do think that you know so much of it is you know obviously the amount of content that's out there and breaking through and how do you market these movies and this that and whatever but I I, I do appreciate that like I watched the trailer today for past lives you were talking about Sundance there's a, a movie coming sure. out this summer that apparently is amazing the trailer looks beautiful I'm very excited for the fact that like it's kind of what you just said Emily like I love that A24 decided we're going to buy this movie that's, you know, I guess the hook is to some degree the cultural elements that exist within it, but it's basically just two people that fell in love when they were younger and they've, and yeah. you know, they, they lost contact and now they've decided to get back, you know, they're back in each other's lives. I did uh, Sundance this year virtually. And that was yes. one of the few movies that you couldn't, you had to be there in person to see oh, that movie. And so that was uh, one that I only really heard about secondhand and you're right emily with the idea that like oh this is the movie where this happens and this is the movie based on that you know viral article or whatever and past lives was one of the few movies that was like the hook on that movie is like oh my god you got to see it it's so good and so <laughs> that's the you know those are the ones that you're you're the most excited for no i totally and, agree I, yeah. and obviously like a love story is a hook in and of sure. it but it is like the oldest sure. hook in the book you know it's not like it's not right. like catchy it's not like we've been telling love stories as long as we've been telling stories i did think it was it was a little weird when Passion Fish devoted a half hour to my wedding to David Strathairn. Like just, <laughs> it's, uh, just I mean, listen, that. I was for it though. I liked your Bayou it. nuptials. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It was beautiful. Um, and the what is it? The five children that you guys have together. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like a shot-for-shot remake of The Wedding from Muppets Take Manhattan. It was great. Don't get me wrong. It was a choice, but I was for it. Yeah, I mean, so I want to talk about David Strathair, and let's just, I want to talk about the fact that for me personally, there is no actor that personifies John Sales more than David Strathair. Like, he, he, and, and I, his career is fascinating. He's been in a million movies. We talked about it, you know, Kenny and I talked about him on the Limbo episode, but He's just one of those guys that is very unassuming, super low key, feels like a real guy, but is so unbelievably watchable. He can be so um, romantically charged and and sort of this very kind of lovely guy that you're just like, yeah, who wouldn't fall in love with him? When he first shows up in this movie, I had a little bit of a uh, a flashback to him in Home for the Holidays, <laughs> where he basically only has one scene in that film, but he's really good in it. Um, there, there's something about this kind of down-to-earth guy mm-hmm. who's got his demons, but he's kind of dealing, that just feels so John Sales to me. But please, talk about David. The thing <laughs> for... Uh, sorry, Emily, you go. You go first. You have points. He's your of husband, the, so you should go. He yeah. he is my husband. <laughs> he has he has this energy of, and like I I've been thinking about this a lot. This this energy of your best friend's dad, who like like, and I was but like also, it's your like you know you're like sixteen, so you, you can be like my best friend's kind of hot. And yeah. then your best friend's like, no, shut the fuck up. What are you saying? Please go away. It's like, there is something attractive about him sure, sure. and s- like sexual and sexy about him without ever 
like losing that sense of approachability and that sense of warmth that you get from like a parental figure who's not your parent. Mm-hmm. It's like an energy we don't have enough of in the cinema, totally. um, in, in any gender. And it it's, it is, you know, I think that Strathairn, I'm always happy to see him pop up. I watched two seasons of the sci-fi show Alphas where he clearly felt it was beneath him, but I was like, he just every week he came back to do the work and it was great. Uh, did you ever watch the expanse trying to think of uh, alpha sorry yes have either one of you ever watched the expanse because she shows up for like a season and a half in the expanse playing another sort of like pigeon accented like odd (laughs) like uh blue collar character and it's just like i don't understand what's happening but it's all working it is absolutely 100 all working he's really really great on that show so i i you know, we talked a little bit about the Oscars, and it's worth noting, David Strathair, two Academy Award nominations, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Just the one, I believe, for Good Night and Good Luck. Did he not get one for Nomadland? Uh, no, he was not nominated oh, for Nomadland. okay. I must have, I assumed he did. Could have been, um, because he was really good in that. Yeah. He was really good in that, and I felt like that was, you know, it seemed like he would get nominated. So, Good Night and Good Luck is the same year as Capote, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. He he loses to Philip Schumer Hoffman. Yeah. Um, who is... I, I I don't know. I have my I have my issues with performances like the Capote performance. He's very good in it, but like mimicry kind of drives me a little bit mental. Sure. Um, that being said, David Strathairn also doing a, a mimicry of a, of a real person, so take that for what it's worth. But I really was rooting for him that year because I yeah. felt like he just first of all he was the lead of the movie. A, a right. rarity because David Strathairn generally doesn't right. get to be the guy. Right. And he was the guy. And he's so good in that movie. Do you think there was any world? Do you think he was he number two in the ranking there? Or no, no I think Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was number two. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. The thing about Strathairn in Good Night and Good Luck is you're right. It's like the rare lead performance. And yet he's so overshadowed in that film's narrative by Clooney because it's like, you know, this guy can do everything. He can direct and act and produce and, and all this sort of stuff. And he got like three Oscar nominations for the same. Plus he was nominated for Syriana that same year that he wins for Syriana. Um, And so then Strathairn is sort of like, he's just like there along for the ride a little bit. And he's, he's probably, probably the solid number three, although Terrence Howard was also uh, really popular for, that was was a good year. That was a good best actor year. Um, But yeah, you're right. He was that. So my, my, the finding David Strathairn attractive story takes a little bit more of a, of a circuitous route because the, he's one of those actors who you didn't realize how many things you had seen him in until you sort of almost look back because the first time I ever really remember him standing out to me, unfortunately, is in Dolores Claiborne. And he's very good in Dolores Claiborne, yes. but his character is molesting oh. his daughter in Dolores Claiborne. And so the, if that's like my main like thing, every time I would see him in, it was just like, oh, that guy gives me the creeps. It's like, he's really, and it took like the, it was the work of my lifetime to like come around to the fact that like finally uh, working my way out of that straitjacket of Dolores Claiborne and being like, I'm going to put that in a box and it's its own place and it's not going to affect me now. And I can look at the rest of David Strathairn's career and then I can go back and be like, so great in sneakers. He's in a league of their own also in 92. He's so great in like the ne'er-do-well brother of Tom Cruise in The Firm. Uh, Meryl's uh, husband who saves the day in, in The River Wild. Um <laughs> He's in so many things. He's one of those, just like you forget how many things. Passion Fish is like his sixth John Sayles movie. He was in all of the old John Sayles movies. So um, it's, he's one of the great 
character actors. He's also in a Sundance movie, by the way, this year that I'm really, really excited for. Oh, wait, I know about this. The the Jane Levy one, right? uh, The Jane Levy one. It's called A Little Prayer, I believe is the title of it. I read about this last night. It's the director. It's the guy who directed Junebug. And um, he's really, really tremendous in it. And was giving me a little bit, it's a very different movie than Living, but like the Bill Nye and Living sort of like shows up at Sundance, gives this very understated but wonderful performance and then bill nye got an oscar nomination so like i'm maybe going to be riding for david strathairn for this movie for this year and we'll see how it goes um but yeah he's tremendous in that movie so be on the lookout for that one i will my my wife who listens to every recording because she's in the room here uh all well just wants to interject and say that stanley tucci also has is my best friend's dad hot oh 100 percent 100 for sure for sure for sure you know joe you mentioned like that he's in a league of their own. And mm-hmm. I was just like, of course he's in a league of their own. Like I completely, it, it, he is a chameleon. He's a guy who unfortunately yeah. and fortunately bleeds into the movie. Like he becomes mm-hmm. part of the fabric of the film. So you really do kind of forget that he's there sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think the first time I probably noticed him honestly was probably sneakers in 92. Sure. I saw that in the theater and I, you know, his character He's one of the best characters in the movie. There's a lot of great characters. Love that movie. But he yeah, he's great. He pops in that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure I remembered him in the firm as well shortly thereafter. Like he's he's just got such a deep, deep career. Yeah. Um I, I mean, and then another thing that he did relatively recently that I love, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the uh LCD sound system music video that Ryan Johnson directed, which came out a couple years ago with him and Sissy Spacek oh, cool. playing a married couple that discover uh essentially a, a a way to time travel is the best way to put it. Um it is a wonderful music video. It's worth checking out. He's they're both, I mean, obviously they're both amazing in it. Um and it's got a very looper kind of thing going on, but it's sure. it's it's really, really great. He was my he was my favorite thing in Nomad Land. Like sure, that, yeah. that was a movie I didn't like as much as everybody else, but I thought he was really fantastic. I also thought he was great in Nightmare Alley, a movie I kind of ride for I that agree. most people don't, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know why people kind of shit on Nightmare Alley. Maybe they just really love the original, which is fair. It's very but... long. It's very long. It takes a while to get to the part where I was interested in Nightmare Alley. Like it was, it really? was a long, yeah, for me, it was a real long ramp up in that movie to get to the part where I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm into it. Yeah, I you know it's funny. I saw I saw a screening of it when it came out, and I really I mean again I was a Carnival fan. Like I, I just love your fucking oh, weird. I kind twisted, of that like, was sort of my know? problem. Is like oh I was kind of wishing I was watching Carnival, <laughs> which is that. fine. That's fair. Yeah. But I just it, it worked for me, and he worked, and like I don't know. I I, I ride for that movie weirdly. Well, it takes I, them so long to get to Buffalo in that movie. Like it's just like <laughs> it takes like half the movie Buffalo. until they get to Buffalo. Phil, like, Phil, if you love Nightmare Alley, I'm gonna get you on Team Babylon one of these no. days. Yeah, no, Team no, Babylon. Let's Babylon. do it. Yeah. yeah. Don't you worry. We'll get to Emily's Babylon minute at some point. <laughs> but I do feel like, uh, no. That's the way I feel about it. Um, I, I, I do want to. Yes, yes. Go, I'm go. fascinated by you talking about David, David Strathairn being a chameleon because I agree. But he's kind of always also playing David Strathairn. Yeah. He has this like he's like a weird character actor superstar yeah. where he like has the same star persona all the time. And yet it works in virtually any role you put him in. He is as believable as a kindly Cajun fisherman as he is like some guy who's going to come in and shoot you in the face and have one line of dialogue. And he's playing the same guy both times. And yet it just makes sense. I don't yeah. understand him. I love him and I'm married to him. 
Yeah, I mean, he's listen. There's a reason you're married to him, obviously. Um, but I I do feel like he there is. Some, I agree with what you just said, Emily. Um, because I do feel like there's always kind of a um a hang dog quality to him a little bit right like you feel like he's he's always kind of got the weight of the world on his shoulders no matter who he is no matter what performance or character um and i don't know i imagine that david strathairn is not that guy but it is something that he kind of brings to all of his performances that that does make them all feel a little bit in unison with one another in this film um again love just the little tinge of cajun in his in his accent he doesn't no one goes full tilt cajun in this movie which i kind of love everyone's kind of playing it pretty mild um but the passion fish story that he tells is amazing um and i i as as upsetting as i found him gutting the actual fish to be um I, i did feel like it was uh it was really great and it also so I want to talk for a second, and we'll talk about this at length, I'm sure, but the relationship between um, uh, May Alice and Chantel mm-hmm. is definitely one of sort of city versus Southern too, right? There's a little bit of that yeah. kind of, there's a class distinction there, which I think is interesting. Like Chantel has no interest in holding these fish, is definitely a big city girl who's not you know, really into the vibe of any of this really, right. which I think is kind of, also interesting in terms of, you know, race and what have you. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's a tremendously fascinating and layered relationship that the two of them have. And you're right, it's like, it's it, there's, you know, obviously the racial dynamics, there's the big city and country stuff. There's the sort of both of them kind of rebounding from these like lows in their lives, but like came at it from really different kind of angles. And it's her character takes a long time to unpack. You know who May Alice is right away. You know what I mean? You're you're introduced to her via her accident and she's on the screen on the soap. So like everything about May Alice is right there in front of you. And Chantel is a character you end up unpacking gradually through the movie and that to the fact that like her family doesn't get introduced into the story until probably past the halfway point of the movie and i think that's a really interesting kind of dynamic in that we we end up you know learning so much about her character and then through her you know through uh, as the movie goes along too 
I was thinking, I've been thinking about this question of how does this not feel like driving Miss Daisy? And mm-hmm. like, I think part of it is John Sayles builds that central relationship around multiple axes of like intersections of different uh, sorts of people. You've got the class distinctions. Yes, you've got the racial distinctions, but you have the sort of rural versus urban divide you have the uh the difference of someone who is able-bodied and someone who is not you Mm -hmm. have like these multiple ways in which this relationship breaks down along lines that a lot of movies would be like okay this is just about this one thing and then it would become didactic here because it's about all of them he kind of gets away with what should be a super cliched premise yeah, I also feel as though, you know, you sort of tapped into this a little bit, Joe, but like this movie really takes its time. Um, yeah. The arcs of both of these characters, uh, first of all, are not Pat. And yeah. second of all, really slowly evolve in the way that it would under those circumstances. You know, John Sales has talked a lot about how uh, he recovered from a back injury and he was working as sort of a, a a nurse essentially or someone in x-rays he was observing all of these people in wheelchairs he was observing these relationships became fascinating to him about the idea of like spending eight hours a day with a person or however many hours sometimes 24 hours a day with these people and thinking about what it's like when two people are forced together it's it's a recurring theme in the film and it comes up a little bit in the scene with uh alfrey and uh and angela bassett as well when they both ask are you friends with her and they both say we spend a lot of time together like i think that that's a perfect summation and that's another scene that unpacks the Chantal character really interestingly because one of the things we learn in that scene is because they're both from Chicago she and and Angela Bassett's character but Angela Bassett's character came from the Cabrini Green projects and Alfred Woodard's character came from the sort of like the nicer I forget the name that Angela Bassett's character says about that neighborhood but it's essentially it's like that's where all the like well-to-do sort of doctors live and you then learn from that it's like Chantal comes from this well, you know, uh, uh, some sort of money in this in this family and this sort of like uh, area of the city that she's living in. But then, she, because up till that point, what we knew about her was she had been a drug addict and all these preconceived notions that we have about a kind of character like that. And that gets upended in a scene like that. And, and that ends up getting more complicated when you meet her father because it's like, oh, right. Now, all of a sudden, it's not only that she like, bottomed out with this drug addiction but also she had all these expectations from this father of hers who was a doctor and and you know it's a lot of layers to it and the other scene that i wanted to bring up that i think is really interesting is we meet early on may alice's uncle reeves who is the sort of the family member she's closest to uh, he comes over. He like finds the like hidden bottle of liquor in the in the uh, barn or whatever, yeah. um, which I really like. And he's a very sort of eccentric character. And he's somebody who you're with him for a little while before May Alice joins that scene, and you're wondering what he's going to end up, what he's going to represent to her. Is he going to end up being like a family member who is, you know, uh, contentious with her, disappointed? And they end up having this really kind of lovely. Uh, the audience realizes that they're very close. They're sort of, you know, the two, maybe the two family members who didn't feel like they fit in with the rest. Reeves is queer and he's, you know, has, he's talking about this, you know, old uh, boyfriend of his who now has gone off and, and they, it's a really nice scene that ends with him 
being very sad about where May Alice now has ended up. And she's back here and he wanted her to be the one to, you know, go away and have her life always be happy. And she says, Reeves, if you're going to cry, what did she say? Like, if you're going to cry, like I'm going to like essentially like beat the shit out of you or something like that. I can't remember that whole line either, but the whole thing is um, a really, really wonderful scene. I really liked it. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I, as I was watching the film, I was really fascinated by May Alice's, sort of slow realization, painfully slow realization as to sort of um, what her future could look like. I mean, John Sales talks a lot about how, you know, he says the film is what people do when they think they're going, their life is going down one path and is blown in another direction. And I think that it takes essentially, you know, half to two thirds of this movie for May Alice to really grapple with the fact that she can have a future in her current predicament um you know part of it is the the photograph stuff which i love and her dark room and 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 which gives her sort of a a, an artistic expression Mm -hmm. um that she either maybe had in the past i mean this dark room did exist so i don't know if she had been taking photos before um you know and and the fact that like acting was obviously the thing that she felt she was born on this earth to do and now that she's found sort of another artistic expression i think is really is really lovely but her sort of uh, her prickliness up top, her hatred of of the situation that she's in takes a really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, really long time under the circumstances, a good hour or so for you to start to get the sense that maybe this woman might actually be able to pull herself out of this. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, I am um, the I <laughs> I love Chantel um, not knowing how to cook. I mean, it's obviously kind of the button at the end of the movie, which is great. Yeah. But even just her standing in the in the kitchen with all of these yeah. various... what do I of, serve these and, people? <laughs> what do these people eat for lunch is amazing. Yeah. Like that type of stuff. Um, I, I also love that Chantel's kind of, I mean, her sarcasm and her kind of prickliness is mm-hmm. part of the reason that May Alice starts to fall for her and really wants to have her friendship and the moment that i think really kind of taps into that is uh may alice wakes up one morning on the couch and she's like how many days have i been wearing this outfit and she says i kind of gross you out don't i and chantel (laughs) says is that a trick question (laughs) and there's just a slight smile on may alice's face like just perfectly placed stuff like that where it's like again emily you you talk about the 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 driving miss daisy component which like in lesser hands with 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 a far heavier hand the light touch of this is part of why this thing doesn't get treacly and never tips into that place and we've talked a lot about all the other performers so we haven't really talked about alfred woodard yet and like obviously the character of chantelle is a fantastic character very rich character but uh, I mean, all the characters in this movie are rich, but I like Alfre Woodard is like one of those performers who is well known. Everybody loves her. She always does great work and she still feels vastly underappreciated 100%, to me 100%. in some very strange way. But yeah, like I, I love her here and I was baffled that she didn't also get nominated because she has she has at, at face value the more easily 
uh, Oscar-y Oscar. role, you know? Yeah. She yeah. has the big scenes where she shouts. Well, has that's an interesting narrative. She's never she was nominated on. once. She was nominated one of her first, one of her earliest performances uh, in a Martin Ritt movie called Cross Creek with Mary Steenburgen okay. uh, that I watched for another podcast that I was on years ago, uh, you know, podcast project kind of a thing um, about supporting actress nominees that year. And uh, she's good in that. She's better in Passion Fish. She's a more, you know, she's a more mature uh, actress in Passion Fish, and she's, you know, kind of only gets better with age. But um, yeah, that's her only Oscar nomination for Passion Fish. It was kind of interesting because she gets a Golden Globe nomination. She wins the Independent Spirit Award for supporting female. Oh, she's a runner-up at New York Film Critics for supporting actress, and a runner-up at Los Angeles Film Critics for lead actress. And I do wonder if maybe that confusion because she is pretty much a co-lead in this movie she doesn't show up until much later so you get why if they were going to push one as supporting it was her but i wonder if there was a little bit of that like category confusion that can sometimes trip up a nomination also it's just it's not easy to get two uh nominations in the same category so um but in supporting she ends up of the golden globe nominees she ends up getting uh, leapfrogged by Marissa Tomei, who ends up winning the Oscar, who wasn't nominated for the Golden Globe, and then Vanessa Redgrave in Howard's End. Um, it's a good lineup at the Oscars that year. I would have probably knocked out Joan Plowright for Enchanted April. I love Joan Plowright, but like uh, Alfred Woodard, it's better. Um, I, I I remember that year sort of the theory on why Marissa Tomei won is because she was the only American amongst a sea of Brits. If it was yes. Alfred Woodard instead of Marissa Tomei, does the same logic apply? I think so. I would love it if that were the case. You know, it's it's interesting. I I was thinking about Alfre Woodard as I was watching this and sort of when I noticed her first. Mm-hmm. Um I think it was it might have been Scrooged. Oh sure. Um, yeah. Well she, that's on every year and she's it's so on good all the it. time. And as a yeah. kid, I certainly saw it a bunch. Yeah. But I do remember my mom took me to the movies to see Heart and Souls in 93. She's so good in Heart She's and Souls. She's so good. And that movie is yeah. great. And that I movie's underrated. Yeah. Um, and I remember her in that and Crooklyn. Those are kind of the three performances that I think as a, as a teenager, I was yeah. like paying attention to her. And, and I agree that I'm sort of surprised that she hasn't been nominated since. But then I was looking through her filmography and I was kind of like, I mean, she's always great. But I'm not sure that she's been given like clemency felt like it kind of had a little bit of some wind in its sails back in 2019 as like, is this could there be is this the little movie that might be able to get a squeeze or a a two Leslie, if you will, um, that that little movie that, you know, and it just didn't didn't happen. But yeah, I don't I, I don't I can't really make heads or tails of why we don't see her more in conversations for stuff that just got caught in that year because it was a neon movie it got caught in that year where neon was pushing so hard on parasite which obviously that's, worked that's, out for them that they just right. didn't have space for anything else but she yeah she should have it was a really fucking good performance she's, so. she's always good she's always great uh there was a minute there in the 12 years of slave year where i thought they might be able to squeeze out a double supporting actress thing with lupita but also uh, you know, Alfrey having the like the one scene wonder kind of a performance that like she shows up, knocks it all down, and then she's gone again. Um, she's so good in that movie. Yeah. She's also won a bunch of Emmys, if I'm not mistaken. Boys. And oh wow, yeah, for, for yeah. what is she won for? Bunch of TV she, movies. 
She has won Emmys for, and this is great. She won Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for Hill Street Blues. She won oh. Guest Actress for L.A. Law. She won Outstanding Lead Actress in a Miniseries or Movie for Miss Evers Boy. And she won Guest Actress again for The Practice. Of course, her right. foremost her foremost nomination was when she was nominated for the second season of Desperate Housewives, which is the performance where I was like, Alfre Woodard's always good. <laughs> yeah. In that mess of a season where she's just yeah. like she stands out among everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. There is there is a effortlessness to her mm-hmm. that you're just sort of I you know, and again, this all kind of fits part and parcel with this movie, which is, you know, just how kind of um for lack of a better word, normal everything seems, right? Like it's it's not there's nothing showy about what John Sales does and about the performances that he gets out of people. Um, but the way she's looking at the world around her is what I was kind of most fascinated with in this movie. When she's silent and she's just kind of taking in the world around her, um, just breathtaking stuff where you really can see the gears in her head and and what she's trying to process and how she's trying to find her way in this world when she's been so um her struggles have been so heavy for so long it's it's really it's really special her romantic relationship her romance with bondi curtis hall is such a like smart portrayal of someone who wants to get involved doesn't want to get involved wants to like just the way that every scene between them vacillates her expression vacillates between those two things where she's like I want to be with him. I shouldn't be with him. Yeah. I, I don't want to be with him. I should be with him. Like she's playing all four of those things at once. It's the, uh, the look on her yeah. face when he's dancing with her daughter um, at that, that outdoor festival or whatever it is that there is, is just lovely. Cause you're looking at her face and you can tell that she's thinking, can I have a future with this man? Like, is, is there something, you know, can this work? Yeah. Um, which makes it that much more sort of, heartbreaking when she has the scene with her dad at the bus when he takes her daughter back to chicago i believe um and you see i mean again the power of alfred's performance but like she becomes a little kid again like you see her she calls him daddy the way she stomps her feet when the bus leaves this just kind of um this this childlike you know, thing that's going on inside her. Um, this I and even her dad saying, like, this is a good place for you. Like you being in the big city doesn't work. Like this is this is a good tempo for you. Um, I think is just I think is really interesting. She's I mean, she's just incredible in it. I she's you know, the character in this, even more so than May Alice, who like I wanna see, I wanna like, I don't need a sequel to this movie, but like I want John Sales to just like drop me an email and just be like, in 10 years, here's what Chantel's up to, because like I wanna know. I wanna see. I want you to send an email to John. I'm going to can you just send me like three sentences about where Chantel is now? Ari uh uh passion fish. Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) Let's get John Sales on to talk Beethoven and we'll ask him all our passion fish. Incredible. Incredible. I, um, I, I, I sort of, so the, the, the Angela Bassett thing I think is interesting. And, and I, I, I wanted to kind of unpack this for a second because there's a kind of juxtaposition that's going on between these two women that show up earlier in the film that, uh, Nora Dunn and the other one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Nora Dunn and the other one. And their names are incredible. They're like one of them is like precious or something. Precious like that. and T Marie. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And they're just like they just hateful people that you want yeah. to spend no time with. Yeah. Um, and then you have this kind of these three soap actors that show up 
Angela Bassett, Sheila Kelly, and forgive me, the anal probe lady. I don't know what she went Ma- on to do. Maggie Renzi, I she's incredible in that scene. I was like, well, how did this woman not have like the greatest career in front of her? But uh, and and the juxtaposition of these, and you talked about this earlier, Emily. Like this is a movie for ladies. This is a movie about ladies, ladies. and those two groups of women, and those two kind of sequences because they both go on pretty long. I mean, yeah. they're they're both like the the second group's probably a good. 15 minutes and the first one's probably like seven to eight minutes but still like considerable and you you get to see kind of a window into you know the two paths that may alice you know the 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 sliding doors if you will of what her life could have been if she stayed and what it became when she left um and i was so pleased in the portrayal of these three soap actors. Cause when they showed up, I was like, Oh no, is there, are they going to be like just fucking shitty actors? Like, is this, you sort of expect them to have the same effect on May Alice, which is God, she's going to like be like wishing she, she was not in this conversation yeah. and, and wanting Chantal to save her. Yeah. And it almost starts that way. Right. Because like the, uh, the one who's her replacement in the role, uh, really get the sense that like, oh, May Alice is going to hate her. And then Sheila Kelly's character is like talking to the willows or whatever, like off in like <laughs> giving this like monologue about like the authenticity of the land or something. It's so good. Um, uh, so like, funny. Who was wrote this, that? She's like, I don't remember. <laughs> was this the same year as Singles? Was is was Singles yes, also 92? Yes, so yes. like great year for Sheila, Sheila Kelly. Kelly. Um, Sheila Kelly. And then, and then Angela Bassett is there as sort of like the sensible, you know, the sensible middle, the one who like May Alice definitely uh, likes, but you're sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop for the for a while. And then uh, sales kind of eases you into the, the, the relationship with these three other women. And you, what I love about that scene is you really get a sense of how well May Alice fit into this, this job of hers, that she was very, she was good at it. Uh, this is a movie that doesn't that you know takes the you know the shots at soap operas that you're going to take or whatever, but doesn't look down its nose at this this life that she had made for herself in New York City. It doesn't view it as shallow or silly or stupid. This was a thing she was very good at, and this was the thing she seemingly you know with the regular caveats of like the things about your job that annoy you or whatever. But like she fit into this world, and I think that scene gives that to you in a way that I really like. One thing I, I I just I looked this up. Uh, Maggie Renzi uh, is John Sayles' like life partner. They've been Aww. together since college, uh, and she produces so many independent films, including all of his. So she Aww. acts very rarely. Sheila Kelly, on the other hand, married to Richard Schiff. Yes, so to Richard Schiff. Uh, yep. I just Wikipedia says that Maggie Renzi, uh, David Strathairn, Gordon Clapp, and John Sayles have been friends since college and collaborating since then. And I want to read that like that like novel. That feels yeah, like I want to be at that yeah. dinner. I want to be at that dinner with yeah. them. Like yeah, you just totally. you know that it's all just I mean, yeah. I want the I, triple date that is Maggie Renzi and John Sayles, Sheila Kelly and Richard Schiff and Angela Bassett and um Oh my God! Yeah, of oh, course. Courtney B. Vance. Courtney B. Vance. Thank you, thank you, Courtney B. Vance. That's like that's the dinner I want to go to. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, the Angela Bassett thing. I was kind of amazed by a little bit because yes, she's she's in uh, Boys in the Hood, yeah. um, which I think is probably the moment when people take notice of her to some degree or another, right? And then she has this role in this movie, which is not like insubstantive, but she doesn't have a ton of screen time in this movie. Um, yeah. I mean, she obviously she makes an impression, but still, yeah. And the leap 
that she makes yeah. to what's love got to do with it in in you know i imagine she's shooting it as you said mere months after this and 92 movie. she's also in malcolm x too as the other of sort course, of like of course, the big sort of, of like yes. uh career yes. ladder for her but yeah like what's yes. love got to do with it takes things to a to a, a whole new level, level i mean her. she is she is very good in malcolm x but it's yeah. not a particularly it's a it's a it's a fine role but i don't necessarily there's know a lot that. going on in malcolm x like it doesn't oh, sure. malcolm x doesn't yes. have a the ton time of time to, to devote yes. to, to her yes. character yeah i i totally agree with that yeah. yeah it is it is interesting and we'll obviously uh unpack malcolm x at a later date but i do think that what's love got to do with it which i watched relatively recently um she's unbelievable in that movie i mean it, it is yeah. both of them are unbelievable in that film but it's just such a lightning rod performance and, and mm-hmm. it really just, she's Angela Bass can do no wrong. That, that when you do your 1993 podcast, I'm going to come oh, on and talk about the 1993 best actress race, which is one of the best, best actress lineups. So wait, it's, it's Holly history. Hunter. It's... Holly Hunter for the piano who wins Angela yes. Bassett, yeah. Emma Thompson for the remains of the day who rules yeah. Yeah. Stalker Channing for six degrees of separation who rules and then it's Deborah Winger for a movie called Shadowlands. Yeah, for Richard Attenborough's Shadowlands, which I watched recently for another podcast that I was on. Um, <laughs> this is just how I watch movies now. Is I watch them in preparation for podcasts. It's a really great thing. Um, but uh, Winger's really interesting. And it's like, how many Deborah Winger performances are you really going to get in a lifetime? So, like, you got to savor every one of them. It's true. And, it's true. Um, uh, so one of my favorite Best Actress lineups in history, though. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I mean, Deborah Winger almost, almost Dottie Hanson. But yeah. I really love shadowlands like that's a really oh, that's really? a really I liked good, it a lot. Yeah. cool movie uh yeah. richard attenborough who of course made chaplin a favorite film of this podcast um, there we go. <laughs> the, i uh uh i my wife was like so why didn't angela bassett win for what's because we were talking about how if she wins for wakanda forever that will be right. her first oscar and my wife was surprised by that and i was like well she lost to holly hunter and you're like oh, okay sure like yeah fine yeah, makes sense it's yeah. it's one yeah. of those things where and forgive me angela bassett has not been nominated since what's love got to do with it it's her that's only other fucking crazy town yeah. that's crazy town yeah yeah okay okay yeah I, I mean i imagine she wins this year i'd be surprised if she doesn't but i guess anything people, possible when this episode drops people will know if she yeah. you know true, like i i do think i do think she's gonna win and you win. know what i'll i'm gonna be glad she has an oscar say that movie who's to say <laughs> right Right, right, exactly. I, yeah, she is very good in this movie, and we, you know, obviously we've talked uh, a fair amount about the scene that she has with Alfrey, yeah. um, but there's also a tenderness that she has towards May Alice. 100%. Um, the the it's it's a perfunctory moment, but the moment when she's about to pull out of the driveway with the other two girls, and she just takes takes Mary Alice's hand, and they kind of exchange a look, and again. It's just another example of how this movie never tips into treacly bullshit. It right. always feels real and genuine. And that moment just feels very real. It just feels like a loving, nice moment. To Joe's yeah. point about how this movie makes jokes about soaps without looking down on them, that the ending when the producer's like, we figured out a way to write you back in. And it has her reject that offer without having it be a situation where it feels like she's realized she's better than the soaps, but it's just like, no, she right. wants, she'd rather do this now. I think it's, right. that's another thing. A lot of movies wouldn't do. This movie's really good. This movie is what I will also say. I'll put on my little soap opera hat for a second. Uh-huh. I will say 
that scene works out how it should. That guy's condescending a little bit and like she's in a different place in her life. But I will say this, if a soap opera actress ever had a car accident where she lost the use of her legs and had to go away from the show for a while, and then at some point came back and resumed that character who now had to be in a wheelchair and perform that character again, that would be a goddamn sensation. And the actress who got to do that would win an Emmy award. And so uh, all I'm saying is may Alice, like I'm glad that you made that decision for your life, but just if you had gone back, it would have been well, really but can I, 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 I'm going to defend May Alice just a little bit here because I sure. agree with, I agree with your sentiment. Um, I, I think that, and just to give a little bit of context for our listeners, basically this TV producer comes back and says, we want you back. Um, we want you back and we, and we want you in the wheelchair, but we also want you to be blind yeah. because another show is doing a wheelchair bit. Right. We need to, we need to up the ante. <laughs> I would be also pissed oh of like, course he's off. so he's so obnoxious absolutely you want her to say no to him for sure yeah uh yeah the, the i and to be clear this is like the closing beat of the film yeah. it's the next to last scene um yeah. i you know what as i was watching it i was like no just go back go back and and, t- and i realized it's because i wanted to see her in the yes. soap playing that yeah. role and i was like emily you can't actually watch this show it doesn't <laughs> exist you can't actually see that if, you know only. I went through a whole like journey in the final scene of this movie. So essentially what happens is uh, May Alice asks uh, Chantel to put her on the, on their boat and they go into sort of the, the middle of this uh, river lake. Don't know. Body of water. Um, And May Alice is sort of talking about being a little bit vague about her future. And in my head, I, I truly was like, fuck she's she's gonna go back like she's gonna she yeah. she's she has learned nothing it is believable to me that may alice would regress and that she would want this life back um i i really did buy it and when the turn happens i found myself crying being so fucking sure. happy that she was staying they're staying and together that, staying yeah. together and that they need each other and Chantel just being like get the fuck out like basically like you really want to do this and it's not some like I, I hate to say this again, but like it never dips into schmaltzy bullshit. Like they still feel right. like real people. They right. still feel like it's clear they care about each other. They've made it clear to each other how much they mean to each other. But yeah. like there's no embrace. There's no like there's none of that shit. Right. They don't tell each other they love each other, even though clearly they do. Like, right. yeah. Like yeah. I, you know, there's a there's a line that I that I wrote down because I loved it. And Mary uh McDonald delivers it beautifully where um, she says, I played the faithful daughter in Lear once, not much to do, but play straight until it's over. Yeah. Uh, in reference to Chantal's relationship with her father and with her daughter, and just like the idea that you can't be what your father wants you to be. It's it's not who you are. Yeah. Uh, and it's really fucking boring to play that role. Um, it's such a beautiful line. Yeah. Um it really just underscores just how much they understand each other. And, and, and even if they haven't been completely above board, like I don't feel like there's ever a scene between the two of them where they barf up all of their backstory and we get some sort of like moment of complete understanding of each other. It's all surmised through like looks and, and it's, it's great. I mean, don't you remember the toasts at my wedding to David Strathairn where they both stand up and deliver their entire back yes, backgrounds sure, sure. and like all of the characters do. And then I stand up and talk about my struggles. It's, it's that was a the sequel scene. to Passion Fish. Your that was wedding. a good time. Yeah. 
It was it was even more passionate fish. <laughs> it's it's just a really really perfect last scene that ends with a a cute button that in a shittier movie would bother me. I hate the button. It's the one thing in this movie I don't like. I hate it's, it. It's a I little. It. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of was like, it's a bit of a groaner, but like they've earned it. I'm like, fine. He basically, May Alice says, "You're gonna learn. You're gonna have to learn how to cook." Boom, and then yeah, it really, it's like freeze frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The score yeah. of this movie is bonkers. It is. Like, the score I, of this I, movie is crazy. The I score of this it. movie very much knows that it came the year after Thelma and Louise, <laughs> and was like. Uh, that was a Hans Zimmer score, I believe, for Thelma and it Louise, was. right? Where he's just like electric guitar twang everywhere. It's just like, yeah. But yeah, it man. works in Thelma and Louise. It sure does. It doesn't work as well in this. <laughs> it's jarring in this. Like when the guitar like comes in and you're just like, ah. Like yeah. I, I know that it's probably used to keep the film from feeling potentially a little laconic. Like sure. I, I think that they want to kind of give it some juice, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, kind, I kind of like uh, thinking about the score and thinking about this movie. I'm thinking about the TV show that at this point was very big Northern exposure. Uh-huh. Sure, this, this movie has a lot sort of a lot in its DNA in common with that show, sort of this idea of like really digging into this small town with verisimilitude and like the Northern exposure score had a similarly like, like cutting against what it was happening. Yeah with a different genre of music than you'd expect but that you know did a lot of zydeco like i think that's how you pronounce it which is like new Orleans, which is like louisiana style music and this is just like generic blues rock and you're like come on come yeah. on you could have like i yeah. i did like the score in spite of myself it was a very strange score for this movie there are points where the the music in in the movie gets more diegetic and they go to these like festivals yes. or whatever yes. and there's like a live band and whatever and like that stuff sounds fun and like very yeah. cool and other but it's like yeah it's this intrusive sort of like just you know reverby guitar kind of a thing it's just like what's going on it's, if ever it's if ever a movie called out for an unobtrusive Carter Burwell score. It's sure. Yes. One. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There you go. I, I, um, just for a quick second before we, before we rate this, uh, I, I do want to talk for a second about the May Alice drug stuff, just in the sense of um, the scene where she confesses it, you know, and talks yeah. about it again is also not particularly detailed. She doesn't go into some sort of big, long speech about her drug addiction. It's actually very matter of fact, as is a lot of this movie, but like there, there isn't a ton of shame in it. If that's the right word, like it feels as though Chantel has processed this part of her life. She's put it behind her. um, And that this is sort of how it is. She yeah. talks about how she still struggles with it, right? She wakes yes. up and she's yes, she's yes. still, you know, she has to 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 work to sort of, you know, yes. uh, keep fighting it. But yeah, there isn't. It's not this like big, uh, you know, tearful, shameful, you know, thing or whatever. It's, you know, I have this thing and this is this thing that has caused me a lot of problems in my life and I'm and I'm really struggling against it. But it's, um, you know, it's it's baked into her character in a really authentic way. Yeah, the the yeah. movies the movies treatment of addiction and uh, uh May and Alice's, booze, by the way. yeah May Alice is like kind of alcoholism that's sort of like settling in is like so lived in and smart and it's another thing where if I, I, I if I tell you the plot of this movie and I'm like well they both struggle with addiction you're like, right 
Emily, right. why are you telling me this movie's good? <laughs> it's good, I promise. I it promise. is really good. Yeah. It it does handle addiction incredibly well. Um and and it's just it's done really deftly and it's done really sort of again a light touch this movie you know if 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 they dialed it up even one notch i think it all kind of falls apart like it's living in a very perfect balance mm-hmm. um but i wanted to talk for a second about luther which is the 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 drug dealer boyfriend it seems right um from chantel's past george he shows is up. a co-worker from the yankees on seinfeld yes yes of course of course yes yeah infamously known yes uh he shows up in a really interesting scene uh at the dock where basically um may alice is taking pictures sort of it looks like for the first time um and the camera work is really fascinating because it is really close and yeah, you she, like, can't lines get around distance from it and yeah. you can't sort of process the geography of it which actually makes the tension so much worse mm-hmm. and he's dialed up the sound of the water hitting the dock which mm-hmm. also makes like this whole f- scene feel very tense which is already tense because of we don't know who this man is he, he's towering over may alice who is obviously in her wheelchair um there's just the choices made in that scene are fantastic from a blocking and a directorial and from a photography um I just really, really loved it. Yeah, it's uh, it's another char- another scene, another character where it shouldn't work, and it yep. does. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're talking about this movie. I'm like, are there bad scenes in this movie? No. You know, the the famous the famous sort of uh, I think it was Howard Hawks' description of a movie as three great scenes and no bad ones. I think very yeah. much applies to this, <laughs> this film. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I you know, and and I, I also. You know, I mentioned the the dark room earlier, but the reveal that Luther showed up by Mary uh, May Alice showing showing her her the photo that she'd taken of him. Um, Again, like in a worse movie, would have felt kind of clunky and whatever, but like it works here because all the kind of piping has been laid so so well. Yeah, I, I just it's 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 a tremendous movie. Uh, in case you guys didn't notice, we really liked it. Go watch Passion Fish. It's streaming on Peacock and on Prime Video. But um, so I had not seen this film before. You had seen this film before, Joe. So yes. did you see this film? I'm assuming not in 92, but, you know, you no, not in 92, yeah. but not terribly recently either. I, I probably some time in the early aughts or, or something okay. like okay. that. One of, the, one of the things that I thought was interesting as I was looking through the John Sayles filmography is the two that I had really watched from him were Sunshine State and Casa de los Babies. And I'm like, sure. why those two? And I'm like, oh, right. That's when I first got Netflix. And like Netflix really opened up what, like how many, like I would go to Blockbuster and whatever and, you know, sure. I'd watch whatever. But like smaller movies that I could finally sort of like were harder to find uh, became very much available to me in that stage. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's definitely why I watched those two movies. Casa de los Babies, great title. Just it is a fantastic title. title. <laughs> yeah, don't remember a thing about that movie besides the fact that Maggie Gyllenhaal is in it, but um, uh, a fantastic title, yeah. Sunshine State, and obviously you're the guy to ask this question of Joe, but didn't Sunshine State have like a little bit of Oscar buzz? For for Edie Falco had a little bit of supporting right. actress Oscar buzz. Right. Not not a ton, I would I would if she finished in the top 10 of voting that year, I probably would be impressed, but like there was definitely some buzz. Yes. Do you think Edie Falco finished in the top 10 of voting this year for avatar? The way I think she was like six. How many of my number one votes counted for her? Because otherwise, (laughs) yeah. 
Ugh, I, I, there so many times when I, when I, I've been doing a rewatch of, of The Sopranos, which I haven't done yeah. since literally it aired. Uh, and I'll just be like, remember when Edie Falco was in The Way of Water? Remember? Like, it just, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then thought it came out and bombed. Um, yeah, she should have. She should win an Oscar for the press tour for Avatar: yeah. The Way of Water, where yeah. she was just like, "I didn't realize the movie hadn't come out yet." So what? What zero to ninety nine, Joe? Yeah, uh, where does where does Passion Fish fall for you uh, prior to this podcast and 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 uh, and now? First time I watched it, I was very very impressed by it. Um, I think this second time, the things that I liked, I liked even better, and I think I was able to have a more sort of thorough appreciation of the difficult things that this movie is doing actually incredibly well as a filmmaking thing, but also as an acting thing, I probably would have given it a solid 80 uh, first time around. And that this time I like, this is like probably a 90. I think it's really, really great. Yeah. I, so I had not seen this one, as I mentioned. So I, I you know, I thought it was about a, a very passionate fish, uh, something, something along those <laughs> In lines. a way it is. It's about two. In a way it is. Fish. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm at a. I was at a 90 before we we pressed, you know, record on this. I'm at a 92 now. Like I, right. I, I, you know, listen, awesome. there, there, there are. Uh, I'm sure that I could find flaws in it. Um, you know, I, but it's a really, really good movie. Um, and one of the characters wears a hat that says trout. I mean, part. <laughs> how do we? That's those. That's the extra two points right there. That's that's. How what, did we not talk? About, my wife wants that hat so much. I, I looked. Trout. I looked for it and couldn't find. I found a different hat that just says trout with a picture of a trout, but it wasn't that hat, so it wasn't good <laughs> enough for her. It's just. It's a great hat. Uh, I mean, it's, Mal, a great, it's just a great, it's a great hat. hat. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I absolutely adored this. Uh, makes me want to you know go watch a bunch of John Sayles movies. Um, Doesn't it make you want to tell other people to watch it too? Like this is yes, the reason why I wanted yes. to do this episode. Where it's like I always find myself telling other people to watch it. So now they uh, should watch it. It's readily it's available. Ready. It's a great movie. Um, Emily, what about you? Um, I yeah. So I I got to do the '90s queer phobia scale first, yes, please, yes. uh, which is a scale from one to ten, rating how queer phobic the film is. Ten being the worst. I'm giving it a one. This movie's like res- this movie's mm-hmm. respectful to queer people. It has the low level background radiation that is. It takes place in the '90s, and I'm afraid some bullies are going to shove me in a locker. But yeah. like that, yeah. you know that that's they're just that, lurking off screen in this in this film. Yeah. yeah. Um, I. You know what? I uh, coming into this, I've been ranking all these movies on Letterboxd as I go, and this one I put at number one, a hair over Aladdin. I have a I had Aladdin at eighty eight, so I had come into this being like ninety. Talking about it bumped me to a ninety three. Yeah. Then reading somewhere, I think Wikipedia, no. that John Sales completely made up this passion fish thing. No way, that's because evidently because he wanted to call the movie Passion Fish. <laughs> I'm adding a point for that. 94. There Fantastic. you go. That's great. I I mean, that's amazing. Uh, he just really liked the name Passion Fish. And listen, more power to him. Like, I that's great. That. I, I mean, it's, it's going, it's going, in, it's going in my sales top five. It's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. it's a, yeah, I mean, for it's, it's a really special movie and it's a movie that, you know, to, to, we've been talking about this, but like, you know, again, your poster, you, you talk about what this movie's about to somebody and you're like, I know, but watch it. It's great. You know, that's, that's an uphill. One of the all time great two women looking in different directions, movie posters. Like, and the, I love the posters also like hiding the wheelchair aspect. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. It's the because dream it's sequence shot where she's on the dock. Yeah. <laughs> 
the, the actually the one other thing I wanted to very very briefly talk about was the dream sequence that uh, that May Alice has where she's on the dock with your husband Emily and she stands up and she gives him a kiss and she it's it's haunting like it's I, really heartbreaking and really I beautiful. hate I hate that I hate that my husband kisses yeah. her even <laughs> I in get a, that yeah. does it go down a point now because because someone else kisses your husband goes up another point no. <laughs> Wait, um, one more note yeah. about the poster, though, because yes, I, now please. that I am looking at it, it has the <laughs> Siskel and Ebert quote on it, which it says two, two big thumbs up. And it reminds me of one of my favorite little quirks about Siskel and Ebert is that their pull quotes would go everywhere. But sometimes to distinguish, it wasn't just two thumbs up. You either got two big thumbs up or my favorite, which was two thumbs up way up. And like, that's the I one. Also, like, that's really amazing. They would, going do, they would do two enthusiastic thumbs up. Yes, that's another one. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> And that was like you know, the, the, the differentiating scale for two thumbs up versus Glenn <laughs> Ebert. I love that. I, wa- I want to say in re uh, John Sales that yes. uh, I've never seen City of Hope, his 1991 movie, but Matterhorn into uh, Eight Men Out, then City of Hope, then Passion Fish, Secret of Rowan, Inish, Lone Star. That's like that's like a six movie run that I would stack up against. That's a sweet spot. American director. Yeah. 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 It's pretty incredible. Um, Joe, I do want to hear your thoughts on the film we're covering next week. Uh, we are covering... Bram Stoker's Dracula next week <laughs> with okay. uh, Clay Keller and Tom Meissen are coming on to Fantastic. talk about Dracula. Um, and I know it's a movie that you had had, you know, it was on your, your list, your so scroll. Yeah. Um, so I want to give you your chance here to sort of what are your thoughts on, on Bram Stoker's Dracula? It's so extra in every possible way. And I love that about it. Even the things that are bad about it, like Keanu Reeves' accent are actually good about it because it's so much fun. Um, uh, Gary Oldman's phenomenal. The look of it, the costumes and the the colors. And there's red, like you've never seen red before in that movie, which I really, really love. The other thing that I, I when we were talking about the the where Passion Fish opened from the like we used to be a country file, just like the movies that you could have seen on a day in December in 1992, like it's not just a few good men in Home Alone two and The Bodyguard and Aladdin, it's Malcolm X and Bram Stoker's Dracula and The Crying Game and Unforgiven and Passion Fish and Last of the Mohicans and Under Siege, like Jesus Christ, like so many great options, it's insane. Yeah, it's it it's pretty crazy. You know, yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula was one of those movies that uh, I saw around its release. I didn't see it in theaters, and it. I was uh, a scaredy cat kid, so sure. it scared me. And I didn't. I didn't like how it made me feel. Uh, so I. I how yes, are I'm we like, friends? How are we friends, Phil? <laughs> Listen, I remember I'm, I'm getting better. Uh, you are. I, I remember a little like bit of the press tour about that movie, though, and I don't know why. Like every once in a while, like there was. A, I remember they were. At, Somebody was on, it was either Coppola, the actors was on the Today Show. And I remember they were very much selling this, like, it's not just a horror movie, it's a romance. This is a movie, we are telling the Dracula story Mm -hmm. as a romance. And I remember that very specifically as like, and like, yes, but it is also a movie where like Sadie Frost jumps out of a a coffin, Mm -hmm. like full on vampire and is is ready. And fucks a like werewolf man or beast man of some sort. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a very extra movie that, Mm I think really was kind of groundbreaking for like a lot of stuff aped off of it for a long time. Um, it was the first, I mean, at least I remember to put the author above the title. Sure. So you had your Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you had your, you know, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. You had these kind of this moment. William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Plus Juliet. My apologies. Uh, plus yeah. Juliet, of course. Uh, you know, it's, it is, it, it was kind of interesting in that regard of sort of the, 
uh, reinterpretation of the classics, if you will, that felt totally. like came totally. in its in its wake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I actually I'll tell you guys off mic, but I'm trying to do something with the Dracula myth that I'm putting a pitch together on. So oh, nice. it, it it really kind of. I think for at least for our generation, it was our generation's Dracula, right? Like this was yeah. the one, for good or bad, right? Yeah. In terms of the purity of, of the subject matter, in terms of its source material. Um, it was sort of Dracula as a romantic, which was not really something that people had done before. Joe, I want, I want your take on if Gary Oldman's Dracula is hot or not. I just, Which I feel version? like I, I feel like I'm I was going to say the, like the Endlessly. man about town in London with the top hat and whatever is certainly absolutely super hot. The desiccated, uh, berobed man in Transylvania. With the hair, less with so. the crazy less, like, less so. hair. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm so. going to actually, I'm going to flip that around. Okay. Desiccated, right. desiccated I, corpse, extremely hot man about town. Yeah. You know. And this is why, Emily, you and I should go out on the town sometime and we'll pick up some Gary Oldmans and we'll we'll have a good time. I mean, there's a lot of Gary Oldmans in this movie. There's a lot of different versions of him. Uh, I mean, also, there's, you know, lest we forget the first version where he's oh, wearing sure. that weird armor and he's wearing the, the arterial oh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, breastplate. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. The hottest. Which, which yeah. is kind of hot. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing also that, like, you know, obviously, infamously, Winona Ryder was supposed to be in Godfather 3, then she is cast in this. Instead, she's her Mina Harker is uh, complex, interesting. Uh, there's a lot kind of going things. on there. A wow. cinematic treasure. Yeah. Tom Waits. I mean, like, this movie's just, this movie's just. Yeah, so Tom Waits' Renfield is so goddamn fun in that movie. Good Lord. <laughs> it's, so it's, did it win anything at the Oscars? Did it win costumes? Costumes at the very least it won. Yeah. I think it won a right? few. Yeah, because like it's below the line is. I actually have that year's Oscars page like pulled up just in case. So let let me uh, take a little one sound effects. Okay. One makeup, deservedly so, uh, and costume design. So yeah, three awards for. Did it get a score nomination? Because the score is fucking great, and I feel like question. Because it It didn't. Interesting. In fact, and photography. Like this is what this is one of those things where like. If this movie came out today, there's a part of me that feels like it's kind of the quote unquote Mad Max Fury Road of its Oscars, right? Where like it gets a bunch of nominations, it wins a whole bunch under, you know, below the line because everyone's like, well, yeah, no one's doing this. Yeah. It did not get cinematography either, even though it should have. That is nuts. It is nuts. That is nuts. Well, listen, uh, I'm super excited to talk about it. Emily, you've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, yes, uh, obviously. I have, I have. Recently? Seen, uh, or... Not not recently. Okay. Um, Winona, Winona Ryder was a huge object of uh, want sure. to want to kiss, want to be for young, yeah, young you Emily. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I just looked up John Sayles' writing career. His most recent credit is writing two episodes of The Alienist on TNT, which oh, I would my. not have predicted. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to get that in under the wire. Is wind. that for real? <laughs> That's for real. That's for real. He also wrote the films Alligator and The Howling and Piranha. I feel yeah, like that's what I mean. Yes. This is how we man, started. This man should be my dad. <laughs> I mean, I'll add that to the email that I send to him when I'm asking him how, how Chantel is doing. I this was, I mean, listen, John Sayles, obviously a genius. David Strathairn, you know, easily Emily's best husband. I mean, just, just. <laughs> 
thumbs up. Until Joe, next week when I marry desiccated corpse, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I mean, can't thank you enough for coming on. We obviously thank can't you wait guys. to have you back. Um, ah. Where can people find you and how can they listen to your, your dulcet tones on, on other podcasts? Uh, I'm on so many of this Oscar season. I can't even tell you. Uh, but my home podcast is this had Oscar buzz. My co-host Chris file. And I talk about movies that, uh, were positioned for Oscars, but didn't get nominations. We, uh, are trucking along into our God fourth, fifth year. God, it's, we've been doing this for a little bit. Um, yeah, come listen to us there. We are on uh, Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. And I am on Twitter at Joe Reed uh, if you want to find me there, which eh, eh, maybe. Oscar, Oscar, this had Oscar buzz. Great podcast. I love it. I can't, I can't, I can't believe I've never been on it. We're setting, we absolutely got to set this up. Every I am year, so bad at guest outreach. It's my least, it's like listen. my worst possible quality. Every year when the Oscar nominations are announced, I am just furious when there's a movie that gets one nomination. So you can't, like, I, I love, like, this is the rare case of a movie I love where I wish it had a, this had Oscar buzz uh, episode, but RRR would have been an Would have been a good one. Yes. Would have been a real good one. But then yeah. it got Natu Natu, which should win, obviously. But yeah. And I think it's yeah. going to. I think it's going to. I think we'll it's see. going to as well. I mean, listen, I, I love Hold My Hand. If I'm being completely oh, honest. Oh, me too. Like, that's a, a, that a is a power song. ballad. I am I yeah. am a sucker for a power ballad. But she's yeah. got an Oscar. Let's give it to her. I mean, I don't, she doesn't need another song one. But I, I yeah, love your podcast. I've been on. I've had the, the blessing of talking Talk about, about Elizabeth Elizabethtown. Town. I really yeah. fought for Elizabethtown. Uh, probably wrongly, but I did. No, it was um, a good fight. It was, it was great. Um, so people to definitely listen to that podcast. You, you, you will be doing a Blankies episode, I believe. Yes, I'm recording that next week. Soon. Yeah. So that'll be that's one of my favorites. I always look forward to the blankies. Uh, I would argue I might give it blankies. Yeah. I give it more credence than most top ten lists <laughs> come, that, that come out at the end of the year. So everyone should check that out as well. Um, but yeah, we can't wait to have you back. And, and thank you so much for being here, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I want to tell you really quickly just the, yeah. the Dracula thing, uh, just because yeah. I've sort of hinted at it. But basically. Um, I'm doing something with Mina Harker. So essentially. Oh yeah. That sounds very cool. Yeah. So it'll be, I think it'll be fun. She's like, she's immortal and she's, you know, Solving yeah, fucking you, unexplainable you said crimes. That and I thought you meant you were doing something with the real Nina Harker. I was like, <laughs> we're Whoa. working on a screenplay I together. I didn't realize she had an overall. <laughs> Amazing, but yeah, I, I so I wanted to do Brave Stoker soon because I hadn't seen it in a while, and I wanted to kind of. Uh, but it's it's. Uh, I think it's gonna be fun. So we'll see yeah, hopefully, you know. All right, thanks very much for All having right, me on, Emily. We will definitely be reaching out about. I guess you. I know you wanted to do Bicentennial Man, and tragically, it's, it's a nominee. I know. Um, I know. Really? I, yeah. I want to do. I want to do where the wild. Or I want to say, you want to do what? Where the wild things are. I don't think you've done that. We have actually. I'll oh, I'll send damn. you a list of 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 uh, of okay. ones we haven't. Oh, that, I'll do the fifties Moby Dick. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. By far our there's earliest. A, there's this um, crazy look that Emily gets in her eyes when she's just like, <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> No, but do send me the list. I think 50s Moby Dick would be fun, but I'd also okay. see the list. Yeah, so, we'll send right. you the list. All right, All right. fantastic. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Bye. Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.